It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. joining us on the Thursdays with Trey podcast where he answers your questions each week. I hope you all have had a great week so far. We are so grateful for your questions and that you tune in each week. We'll start with a question from Gary in Texas, whose subject is the new speaker of the house. He writes, whatever happened to the vote of the people? Why can't they work together to do what their constituents want? Oh, Gary, from the great state of Texas, um, I think there are a bunch of answers, but I'll try to limit it to just two. And I'll also say this, Gary, that's probably the dominant question that I got while I was there, whether it's Publix or church or the driving range, wherever I was. People want to know why can't members of Congress, you know, get along and work together for what uh, voters or citizens consider to be the common good. And the main reason for that is people cannot agree on what they want or what they think is best for the country. And and I don't mean members of Congress can't agree on that. I mean, the country can't agree on that. And I, I'll give you kind of not a great example, but an example. Congresswoman Ocasio-Cortez from New York. I do not know her. I've never met her. We did not serve together. She came after I was gone. But we'll use her on the one side and then we'll use Jimmy Jordan whom I did serve with and was on, you know, three different committees with, um, both have been elected with overwhelming numbers. Both have been reelected with overwhelming numbers. So clearly they represent the views and the beliefs of those in their respective districts. And yet they rarely agree on matters of substance. And rare may actually be an overstatement or an understatement. I mean, they just they, they have different views on the size and scope of government, the role of government. Here's what I'd be willing to venture. I, I mean, again, I'm not there, so I can't swear to it, but I'd be willing to venture that if Congresswoman Ocasio-Cortez and Jimmy uh, were to see each other in the halls or the committee room or the floor of the House, they would be exceedingly polite to one another. They uh, would speak. Um, there's just no fighting when the cameras are off in Congress. 99% of the members get along 99% of the time. We just don't agree on things. So you can extrapolate from that that the reason the members don't agree on things is because their constituents don't agree on things. I, I mean, there are some matters that lend themselves to compromise. If you take, for instance, defense spending. Uh, there's really no argument um, against defense being the primary function of the federal government. But there can be arguments on how much should be spent. Maybe a Republican thinks we should spend one hundred million dollars and a Democrat thinks we should spend 50 million or 75 million. That's an agreement on purpose and a disagreement over funding. And that does lend itself to compromise. You can split the difference. You can. I mean, it lends itself to compromise. 
But there are a host of issues that do not lend themselves to compromise. The national minimum wage, for instance, Republicans may believe that it's just not any of the business of the federal government, whether whether a restaurant in Idaho or Texas or South Carolina pays its employees $15 an hour or $12.50 or $8 an hour. I mean, it, it matters. It's important. It's just not the business of the federal government. Democrats, on the other hand, might believe that through some argument based on interstate commerce, that it is a national issue and that there is a role for Congress to play. So to compromise means you have to like fundamentally agree that it's a proper exercise of congressional power. If you don't agree on that, then how in the world can you how in the world can you compromise? I mean, if one group thinks you ought to be arming the Ukrainians and the other group does not think you ought to be arming the Ukrainians. How are you supposed to compromise on that? To finish that point, I'll also say this. I teach a class on Congress with um, our dear, beloved friend, Sharia Clark uh, and Mary Langston, and they are probably sick of hearing me say this, but I'm going to say it anyway. Congress reflects. It reacts. Rarely does it lead. So if we're mad at Congress, um, that's only a projection of our anger, because what we're really mad at is ourselves or more aptly, our fellow citizens. Congress reflects. They react. And Congresswoman Ocasio-Cortez is going to be reelected um, probably until the end of time or until she leaves politics or runs for something else. In her district, she'll be reelected. So will Jimmy Jordan. You can't find two people with more different views on the size and scope and role of government. So how are they supposed to compromise with one another if they have fundamental disagreements over what the purpose of government is? The second thing I will tell you on why people don't work together um, is because right now, neither side wants to give a real or perceived victory of any sort to the other side. So even if quietly people may have agreed in the Trump administration with a bill that was pending, they're not going to give a legislative victory to a Republican president or a Republican controlled House or Republican controlled Senate. They're just not going to give a victory when Republicans vote for that with a Democrat president, President Biden. There's outrage. There are threats to primary. There are calls to get rid of leadership. And and a lot of that is not rooted in the bill itself. It's rooted in this belief that's pervasive in politics right now that you cannot give any sort of victory to the other side because it helps them when they run for reelection and it perpetuates their control over the body. So why can't people work together? Because the people they represent don't work together. And that's not a happy answer, but it's the best one I can come up with for my friend Gary from the great state of Texas. Well, thank you, Trey, for answering that. Thank you, Gary, for your question. Our next question is from Mark all the way in Australia. He writes, how did you do in your various club and regional championships this year? Where did you place and what did you shoot? And I'm guessing he's talking about golf. I'm guessing he is too. And just when (laughs) I thought that there could be no more depressing than the state of politics in our country right now, from our very close friend and ally, Australia, 
has put his finger on something that causes me even more pain and angst. Oh, no. Which is discussing um, the two uh, club championships that I played in uh, recently. I mean, I'll get the good news out of the way first because there's not that much good news. I actually birdied the first hole in both tournaments all four days. Mm. And then it went downhill about as fast as it possibly can from there. And it's just one mental mistake after another. And I usually don't mm. do that, but I did. And I don't know why. I mean, I'm sitting there one under par on number two. It's not a hard drive. I hit it in a fairway bunker. Next thing I know, I'm on the green putting out. And it's a double bogey. I cannot remember the last time I double bogey that hole without a penalty shot. Didn't hit it in the water. I just didn't hit it OB because there is no OB on that hole. I, I I don't know what it is. I need to go see. There's a guy named Bob Rotella who's a sports psychologist. I uh, used to be at the University of Virginia. He may still be at the University of Virginia, but he, he's well known for kind of helping people work through their um, mental issues when it comes to golf. I, I I don't know if it's self-sabotage. I, I, I mean, that's probably a little strong, but when you play yourself out of a tournament really, really early, then you're liberated. And if you look at what I shot on the second day of both those tournaments, I think in the big club championship, which is much harder, the course is longer. It was much, much harder. I think on the second day, Mark, I may, I think I tied for the second lowest round of the tournament, including a better score than the guy who wound up winning. But I had shot so poorly on the first day, it just didn't matter. I think my goal at that point was to come in in the top 10, and I did. But I had shot myself out of the tournament. Oh, I don't know what it is. I, I just, obviously, I started off okay. And then I went through a patch where it was just one mental mistake after another. And um, and then once you, you know, realize, well, I have no chance to win anymore, then your mind is free and you can start playing good golf again. I will say this about my friend Tim Dunleavy, who wins the club championship every time he enters it. Um, he's the best, he is the best golfer that I, that I play with. He played college golf. He played on tour. So I finished my round and he's out there. He had a five shot lead. I think when the day began, I mean, the first round, it was windy. It was really, really tough. And here, this guy comes in with a 67. Uh, he just, he just plays a different game. So he had a big, big lead and I'd finished my round. And I wanted to go out and watch him. And so I'm standing there on the 13th green off to the side with his wife, who happens to be my medical doctor, his wife and his uh, youngest child, Allie. And he's in a bunker and his five shot lead was down to one shot. So he's my friend. So I'm not going to say he blew a five shot lead, but he had blown four of the five shots. And so I'm sitting there, and I'm as nervous as I used to be in, trig in trigonometry class back in high school. And his, his, man, his wife is like a surgeon, and you wouldn't think she'd be nervous, but she's nervous. I think his daughter was it, had his, her attention, too. Here he is, this huge lead. He's on 13, he's down to a one-shot lead, and he's in the bunker, and he's short-sighted himself, which means the pin is really close to the bunker, and 
it, it's a really it's a hard shot on a Saturday afternoon with nobody watching. It's a hard shot. And I watch this guy and he's got a big smile on his face. And there's not one ounce of pressure at all on him. It literally is like he's out there on a Saturday afternoon. Uh, tons of people are around watching. He's taking a five-shot lead down to a one-shot lead, and he short-sided himself in a bunker on 13, which is the hardest hole in the course. And just the most nonchalant bunker shot, he splashes it out to about two feet, makes the putt, goes on, of course, to win the tournament, I don't get nervous on TV. I never got nervous in the courtroom. I don't get nervous speaking in front of groups of people. But if you put me in a bunker with people watching in a tournament and I'm short-sighted, I don't think I'd be able to draw the club back. I think I'd still be in the bunker, Mary Langston. This tournament was in October, and here we are in December. I think I would I'd still be in the bunker because I wouldn't be able to swing the club. He doesn't care. So I got to figure it out. I got either Bob Rotella or somebody else got to help me figure out why in the world I, it doesn't bother me until like it matters. And then all of a sudden it started bothering me. So all of that to say I wound up shooting good scores on the second day. I didn't come close to winning either one of them. But the guy that I play the most amount of rounds with won this club championship and the guy that I play the second most amount of rounds with won the senior club championship. I play with them on almost a weekly basis, but they handle the pressure um, better than I, I don't, I mean, you would think like live television might be nerve wracking or being in a courtroom and a homicide trial, but none of that rattles my nerves. It just put me on an innocuous par four with one fairway bunker and I'm going to find it. And then I'm going to, you know, I'm going to go on to butcher that hole and play myself out of the tournament. So on that happy note, thanks for bringing back all those terrible memories. <laughs> well, thank you so much for sharing, Trey. And thank you, yeah, Mark, for yeah, your question. I'm sure, yeah, I'm sure uh, I, I, you would think it'd be kind of cathartic to kind of get that off my chest, but it's actually not. It was just as miserable going mm. back through it as it was living it. I was hoping that it would put you in the right direction. There was not a happy ending to that question. But well, thank you for keeping up with it. In your defense, it has been pretty windy here. So maybe it was one of those days it was very windy, and I can't imagine having to play golf on one of those days. Yeah, well, sweetheart, it was windy for everyone. So um, the people that shot a lot better than I did, they also had to play with the wind. It wasn't the wind. It's what's left of my weak mind. Well, we're going to hope I'm for the best. and. Yeah, I'm maybe you can better. talk to somebody, too. Well, Tim tells me tension is the enemy of a good golf swing. And you mm -hmm. just got to uh, actually Bob Rotella and others say the less you care, the better you do. It's just hard to it only comes around once a year. So it's just hard to say, you know, this is really important. It only comes around once a year. You're running out of opportunities to do well in these two tournaments, but it doesn't matter. It's just hard to get your mind to believe that. But I got to do something. You can't play yourself out of the tournament on the front nine and then, you know, decide all of a sudden you're going to try not to embarrass. I mean, I, I was worried about Terry, like, not letting me back in the house if I if I shot what I was shooting on the front nine. She would have changed the locks. She wouldn't do that. Yes, she would have. It, it was going to be a big number. 
It's going to be in the in the 80s. Big number. No. Well, maybe Mark has some advice for you, and he, maybe he'll send it to us next week. Yeah, probably play tennis. That's probably his advice. <laughs> we'll answer more of your questions when we come back. Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Well, we'll move on to our next question, and it's from Larry in Tennessee. He writes, do you feel it would be appropriate for the sports writers to recognize both Shane Beamer and Josh Heupel to be co-winners of the Coach of the Year Award in the Southeastern Conference? And hopefully I pronounced the coach's name right, but you can correct it if I didn't. No, you did. It's Josh Heupel. Oh, um, that's exactly who it is. Um, I am fine if Shane Beamer shares it with someone else. Uh, the coach at Vanderbilt did a really good job this year. Kirby Smart obviously did a really good job this year. Josh Heupel, really good job. I'm fine if Shane shares it, you know, co-coach of the year. Um, I'm not fine if he's not part of sharing it because uh, what he did this year was nothing short of amazing. The walk off the field in Florida – and how he kept the team motivated and together. It was not a good showing in Florida. The Missouri game was not a good showing. The Georgia game was not a good showing. And yet he gets these kids to believe that that's over and we got something else to look forward to. And he goes on and beats Kentucky on the road. Now, look, in fairness, Kentucky's starting quarterback was out, but South Carolina had players that were injured too. And and we beat A&M at home. Uh, I don't think we'd ever beaten A&M before. And then Tennessee and Clemson are both really, really good football teams. And they blew Tennessee out. And then they beat Clemson on the road. So mm-hmm. I don't care if Shane shares it with Hypo or Kirby Smart or uh, Clark Lee, I think, is the coach at Vanderbilt. I, fine, share it. But you, you better give Shane his share of it because what he did this year I think is amazing. Well, thank you so much. And thank you, Larry, for your question. Our last one is from Andy in South Carolina. He writes, what did you think of the former president's tweet about the Constitution? (laughs) So back to politics. Uh, I I guess I I have no idea what the former president was talking about. I literally have no idea. I'm not on Twitter. You know that much, Mary Langston. You Mm kind of are my eyes and ears. And what's left of my heart. So I I know, I mean, I read it. I read it in a story, something about terminating certain provisions of the Constitution. I I don't know what part of the Constitution he was interested in terminating. I don't know why. I mean, to coin a phrase, he he lost me at hello. I have no idea what he was talking about. Mm. It did not read well. I understand he sent out. Further attempts to clarify what he meant, but but not surprisingly, when you're explaining, you're losing. And and I don't know that his clarification clarified a whole lot. I mean, when I read it, I think the root of it is this continuing belief in politics that someone cannot lose. 
And if they do lose, they must have been cheated. And both sides do it, and both sides have done it, although not to the same degree. I just I don't think it's ever a good idea to talk about terminating or suspending the foundational document upon which our country was formed. I just think that's a terrible idea. No matter what party you're in, it's it's really for me, it is unconscionable. It is it is the single most important document. I'm not comparing it to scriptural writings, but it is the single most important document in the history of mankind. I'm not comparing it to the to the Bible or other works of other spiritual works, but in terms of government, it is an amazing thing that has been amended so few times and yet has kept together this diverse nation for well north of two centuries. And to suggest that some part of it is going to be terminated because of this mistaken belief that that you cannot lose an election just is dumbfounding. So, Andy, I have no idea what the president was talking about. Uh, I suspect most other people don't either. Um, when you talk about doing away or terminating or, I mean, if you want to amend the Constitution, there's actually a process to do that. In fact, we have done that just right around 30 times. But to, in a tweet, because you lost an election, but the root, I always like to look for the root. What is the root problem here? And there may be more than one, but let's just settle on the root problem is this mistaken belief that even though Dietrich Bonhoeffer lost and Jesus Christ lost a voice vote to a guy named Barabbas and Martin Luther King Jr. lost and Ronald Reagan lost and Abraham Lincoln lost and Jack Nicholas has lost and Roger Staubach has lost and all the greats in whatever field they were in have lost this mistaken belief that we can't lose. That, that's what's at the root of it, and I will never understand it. I just got through answering the question about not only losing, losing in a spectacularly bad way. And I got nobody to blame but myself. I'm not blaming the course or the wind or you know the golf ball. I'm not blaming any of that. I did it. Mm. I, why people in politics can't say that, I don't know. You know, to the extent I have any idea what he was talking about, I'm pretty sure it was a terrible idea. Well, thank you so much, Trey, for answering those questions. And on that happy note. Yeah, on that happy note, thank you to our that, listeners. Mrs. Lincoln, <laughs> how did you like the play? Oh, my. Well, hopefully we can end on a happier note. I do appreciate all the listeners sending questions. I mean, we wouldn't be here without their questions. Well, we'd be here. We just wouldn't have anything to talk about. It'd just be like utter silence. <laughs> We might well, be that, here. Maybe that too. We would be here. But uh, before we, we be go, give us an update on your father. Is he doing okay? Yes, sir. He's doing great. He's healing up and he cannot drive yet, but he's looking forward to the day he can. But thank you for asking. Well, that may be a good thing. I mean, if you can't drive, that means everybody's got to go do stuff for you, right? <laughs> we have a lot of adventures and it's a good season to kind of, you know, spend time together. So he's in good spirits and that's what matters. Well, you know, it's not like y'all live in Mexico City or Paris or New York. I mean, mm -hmm. the driving in Fountain Inn probably can't be that tough, <laughs> can it? No, it's not tough at all. 
How Everyone goes pretty lights? slow, you know. <laughs> Not many, probably four. So four stoplights. At least we have four. Oh <laughs> uh, well, tell him we ask about him. He's lucky. Thank He's got you. One of the kindest human beings on the face of the earth to take care of him. And you said you you do have siblings. Yes, I have two younger brothers. Okay, that's right. I keep forgetting. <laughs> and they All love right, sports hope... just as much as you. I know they do. I know your brothers, <laughs> and I know their names, but. I still enjoy acting as if you're an only child. (laughs) All right. I want everyone to have a great couple of weeks heading into, um, I guess it's Christmas. I guess I need to get on Amazon and get something for Terry. Well, if you you find out what she wants, let me know, okay? You know I will. Okay. Y'all have a great rest of your week, and we'll see you next Thursday on Thursdays with Mary Langston and Trey, where we entertain your questions. Y'all take care. Have a good week. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. And Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. Listen to the all-new Brett Bear Podcast featuring Common Ground, in-depth talks with lawmakers from opposite sides of the aisle, along with all your Brett Bear favorites like his all-star panel and much more. Available now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts.